It is free on my Friday. What do we mean by that? It's a, an open forum. You can voice an opinion about anything you like. And uh, be prepared. Some people would ask you some questions or be prepared to explain yourself. Uh, but the idea is to give us a point of view that is uniquely yours. And also tell us why you are thinking the things you're thinking. How did you end up with your analysis? What was the, 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 the point at which you said, no, I don't, I don't agree with that, but I agree with this, and therefore I'll take this position. So that's what we do on Free Your Mind Friday. Uh, we call in at 888-874-4888. And you ought to have an opinion about something. Don't take us on the scenic view. All right? Let's get to the point. Tell us what it is you want to talk about and why you want to talk about it. What is your opinion on the matter? And then you'll see how people react to you. 888-874-4888 is the number to call. And we will start as soon as we get a call. 888-874-4888. I'm getting a little bit more focused on us using our time well. And that means that if you have something to say, get to the point, make it clear what your position is and why you take that position. Um, that helps a lot. And it also is good training. No matter what forum you're in, you don't want to start talking and then talking and then talking and more talking and you don't get a clue as to where you're going with all this talking. You ought to have an opinion. And I understand the, the reticence, I understand the hesitancy. We are never taught to have an opinion. <laughs> and we are never taught to express an opinion. And yet that is exactly what we need. We don't want to, uh, you know, insinuate something. Say it clearly. Say whatever it is you're thinking clearly and why, we, why you are thinking what you're thinking. This way people won't be confused as to where you stand on an issue. Make it clear. Make it plain as the great Malcolm X used to say, make it plain. 888-874-4888. We're sharpening up our skills. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we're making it a more, uh, making a more deliberate effort to put ourselves in charge of what it is we want to say so that there's no mistaking what we want to say because we're saying it, all right? And you are also teaching when you're talking. So you want to be as clear as possible. 
And, of course, you want to be uh, conserving your words. You don't want to be talking, talking, talking. You want words to be the right ones that you choose, and people will understand you better. And you improve our give and take with each other. Well, we have our first caller, Patricia from New York. Hey, Patricia, how are you doing? You, Trace, and good afternoon to the PRN family. It's an absolutely beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful day here in New York. I hope it's the same where you are. So I'm doing well. Great, great. What do you want to talk to us about today? Okay, so today I want to talk about this kerfuffle with um, Kyrie Irving. Now, poor Kyrie Irving was forced to apologize for supporting this movie that I haven't seen, don't know anything about. Um, but according to the Jewish community, it was anti-Semitic. And my, and uh, my before you go on, I don't want to interrupt you, but you didn't say who he is. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I guess I just assumed that <laughs> that's true. We have we have listeners who are not from New York, so they don't know who he is and the, and his significance at this particular moment. So Kyrie Irving is a basketball player on one of the two basketball teams that we have here in New York, the New York Nets. And evidently he is being he was forced to apologize for supporting a movie that I have not seen. I don't know the content of the movie um, that was deemed to be anti-Semitic. Portions of the um, movie were deemed to be anti-Semitic. And I'm less concerned with what with the content of the movie and more about this weaponizing of the term anti-Semitic because it seems that um, that that no matter you you can't tell the truth or or make any comment uh, about Jews without being called anti-Semitic, and so um, he was he was um, punished by not being able to play for five games, and that was yesterday. And so, of course, in the middle of the night this morning, when we woke up, we we heard that he had apologized, and so I don't know. I mean, people are questioning whether his apology is sincere. But for me, the issue for me is anytime you make a statement um, that is in opposition to either the definition that the Jewish community says is anti-Semitic, you you can't, you know, I, I always believe in, you know, telling the truth and shaming the devil. You can't say anything about the Jewish community without being called anti-Semitic. And clearly they are so powerful because this is really about a power dynamic. Who rules, who has power and who does not? And every, so, you know, I, I started thinking back on some of the things that a, uh, the American Israeli um, Political Action Committee, APAC, has done. And I said to myself, I don't hear any elected black official talking about anything that they're doing. Um, there is a, a young lady in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh. Her name is Suni Lee. She's running for uh, a seat that was vacated by someone who retired. And APAC has literally poured tons, thousands of dollars into her, into her opponent, who is a GOP uh, candidate. Who, and 
so she's number one. Uh, earlier this year in the, in Maryland, Donna Edwards, who was a former congressperson um, who was term limited, and then she decided to run again. Her position on uh, the Palestinians, she, she shows, shows support for Palestinians. APAC ran a vicious campaign against her, and so she lost her primary. I'm reflecting back on when Obama was in office, when the GOP invited uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and actually uh, with APAC support and never extended the courtesy of the person who was in the White House to let him know that they had extended this uh, invitation to Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And no one, no one ever says, wait a minute, because all of these individuals support black and brown people, specifically the Palestinians, what APAC is doing and what the Jewish community is doing, that's not anti-black? So for me, it's less about what they're charging, what they're saying about Kyrie Irving, and more about the power dynamic here that seems to say, no matter what the Jewish community does, no matter what APAC does, it's all all's quiet on the Western Front. But the minute you try to say something about the Jewish community, you're anti-Semitic and you are skewered, and no one comes to your support. Do you have a suggestion to make about this? Well, you know, it was really interesting. I take Donna Edwards because Donna, I don't know if anyone knows or has ever seen Donna Edwards. As I said before, she was a congressperson out of Maryland. She is a commentator on MSNBC. Donna Edwards, nobody could ever characterize Donna Edwards as being progressive or being radical. And yet still, Pelosi, Democratic leadership, said absolutely nothing. Uh, well, uh, let me just backtrack, because I, I want to be, be honest and truthful. Nancy Pelosi did make some comments and criticized, but that was the extent of it. A, I'm sorry, criticized APAC, but that was the extent of it. But I didn't hear the Congressional Black Caucus come and say, wait a minute, wh- what are you doing? You know, come come to her defense, come to her support. So there needs to be a conversation in the black community about our ability to tell the truth without being uh, characterized and criticized as being anti-Semitic. I mean, by whose definition? Who, who decides that something is anti-Semitic? So the first thing I'd like to see have is a conversation within the black community because everybody's scared. Everybody's scared. Nobody wants to say anything. Well, thank you for getting us started today and pointing above in our ear so that we can pay more attention to this issue. Thanks a lot for getting us started. You too. Ed from Queens, you're on the air. What are you opining about today? I'm not opining just uh, your previous caller uh, hit hit something that I was uh, going back. Well, I was basically having a discussion with a couple individuals last night since I'm a sports fan and I do follow the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, Kyrie Irving is sort of getting a bum rap. 
And uh, I just wanted to, uh, since the previous caller mentioned it, I just wanted to chime in on that. Uh, what, it, what happened was there was a movie, and I actually saw the movie. It was uh, the movie. The film was uh, directed in 2018 by Ronald Dalton Jr. He's uh, he's one of those. Uh, he, he makes uh, polit- he's like uh, there was another film producer also, but they make movies pertaining to African Americans and the black experience in the world. Uh, history, so on and so forth. And the movie was called Hebrews to Negroes. And it spoke about the uh, the connection that African, the African tribes in Ethiopia have with King Solomon and the fact that there are African Jews and the connection through history from, uh, from Haile Selassie and Ethiopia and how that connects with American blacks. I saw it in 2008, I saw it in 2019, so... I don't remember it completely. I think I had the video at home. And Kyrie Irving just presented a link to that. And there are, the movie, I mean, I saw the movie. I didn't see anything anti-Semitic about it. It, uh, it brought out some uh, of the classic stereotypes, but it presented them in what my opinion was an even-handed way. But Kyrie Irving just presented a link to it in Twitter because I think he just discovered the movie. And uh, that is what caused the Anti-Defamation League and all of these other people to fall upon them. And I agree with the first call. I mean, we can have an open discussion. There is history. Judaism is a religion. It's not a race of people. It's not a specific genetic type. You can, you can, uh, you, you can be converted. You can accept Judaism. And uh, just because there are questionable aspects of the religion or there's a history with, with all religions, there's history. With all religions, as far as my research has been, there's been some type of persecution on both sides of the coin, from Christendom to Islam to Judaism. So, I mean, we can have an open discussion and a discourse about it and not have to make the guy, uh, suspend the guy for five games and make him apologize for something that personally I don't think he even had to apologize about. He just presented a link to a movie, and he said, how can I be anti-Semitic when African people are Semitic by... But, but by history and by, and by religious definition, there's a whole tribe of, of, of African Jews in Ethiopia. And there's a whole history with them as far as how they relate to the nation state of Israel. We confuse Israel's political policies with the, Jude, with the Judaic religion. And that's where the conflagration comes in. And that's where people find a bone of contention. I don't agree with Israel, with the Israeli government's policies as it goes towards Palestine, as it goes towards other countries, their, their association with South Africa in the past. I don't agree with the, with, the, with the government's policies, per se, but I have nothing against the religious persuasion of Judaism, no. So what, with this having happened already, and it's, it's flaring up, it's a major point of discussion today, do you agree with Patricia that uh, something has to counterbalance this uneven access that people have to media in situations like this where only one point of view is allowed and is allowed to prevail. Well, I think it becomes a hot-button hot issue, and it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a dog whistle or, or, or playing a race card. I mean, there is a legitimate, verifiable history of African Jews, and there is a way that Israel has treated those Jews, and there is a connection. And it's, 
we're, we're only going to correct ourselves if we accept the truth about our history and stop painting all these lies and all of these uh, 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 fanciful facts about what happened. We got to be a sign of maturity is dealing with facts as they are and working through them. I mean, nobody's, you know, you can't, like, like Patricia said, the moment you say something about Jews, you become automatically anti-Semitic. And that, and I don't believe in this particular case, because I'm familiar with it, I was reading about it in the papers, and I actually saw the film, that that's a valid claim. I mean, someone raised the question. Now, the Jewish government might not be happy with how they treated these European Jews, because I know there was some conjecture about whether they were allowed to be quote-unquote Jewish people, whether they were allowed into society on, as a whole in Israel, and they were regaled to second domestic domestic servants and second-class citizens. That being said, unless we deal with it in an open fashion, we're never going to achieve anything. The same thing with race in this country. We've got to put all these uh, childish attitudes behind us and deal with the facts as they present themselves. And then, we, then maybe we can reach a modicum of fairness and justice on a, on a scale. Until then, thank you. Spinning our wheels. Thank you very thank much, you. Ed, for contributing today. Marcus from Wisconsin, you're on the air. What's your opinion about anything? Thank you, Trees. I also would like to uh, pile on what Patricia started. Uh, that's she made an excellent point, and uh, Edward uh, followed it up really well. I'd like to add something. There's an aspect of this that is not being discussed, and I'll give you a little context for it. Uh, beginning under COVID, um, under uh, no scrutiny from media. Uh, the Homeland Security Department, among many others, uh, connected groups are redefining what terrorism means, and they have focused on domestic terrorism, and they use a very loose construction for what a domestic terrorist is, and uh, more and more, People are being uh, thrown into this group or edged into it. So the Anti-Defamation League has very recently, uh, just last week, partnered with researchers from Princeton University on what they call a new data collection initiative. And the idea is to track down so-called threats and criticism of elected officials. Now, it's supposed to be aimed at tracking, quote, what they call incidents involving local politicians. They're forming this initiative. It's called the Bridging Divides Initiative. And it's supposed to, quote, expand beyond local officials to state and federal so this is the beginning of a federal agency that will police political speech. Uh, there are already indications that this BDI will, of course, share the Anti-Defamation League's biases, whatever you feel them to be, 
And uh, Princeton University announced that the BDI has been launched to, quote, systematically evaluate threats and harassment of local officials across the United States using public event-based data. And, of course, the ADL uh, is constantly blowing kisses at itself as being the foremost authority on extremism and terrorism and hate, and they are now partnered with Princeton to do what they say law enforcement is incapable of doing or unwilling to do. So Princeton University and the Anti-Defamation League are creating a database meant to track non-criminal criticism of politicians. At the same time, uh, there is now uh, there are government agencies, including Homeland Security, talking about. And uh, I've been uh, informed that there are news items on CNN about this. What they are calling stochastic terrorism. Now I know what stochastic means. It's a word that comes from philosophy and philosophy of science. All it, what it means is having to do with random variables or occurrences. So stochastic, what the, the idea of defining stochastic terrorism means they want to come up with an algorithm for it. So any, anything you say, if it fits into this algorithmic structure of speech criticism that they are creating, you are a terrorist. Now, this is one of the reasons that I have been advocating for uh, revolution in this country for all of my adult life. This is indistinguishable from any tyranny you know about in the 20th century. They are laying the groundwork for it. They are absolutely laying the foundation for it. And these things don't happen in a catastrophic way. They don't announce tyranny one day so you can react and resist. They do it slow step by slow step by slow, imperceptible step so that, oh, you say to yourself, oh, well, it's just this little step they're taking. It doesn't hurt. But then a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, all the steps together uh, that you went along with, and you say, gee, I wonder how we got here. These are the discussions we end up having. So people, Patricia is absolutely right. This, this started with the foundation of what they call hate speech, because now there is uh, uh, basically an appointed group of officials that decide what is hateful speech and what is not. That was the first groundwork, and they are slowly adding to it. Look, Al Capone was honest. He didn't call what he did cybersecurity. He called it what it is, a protection racket. 
we have to be smart enough to recognize this. So thank you, Patricia, for bringing this up. This is much larger than just this event. The media wants you to focus on this one popular figure who is being subjected to um, this backlash. But this will become generalized to all of us. And Mm. formats and forums like this will be subject to it before you know it. Hmm. Well, thank you for thank you. the warning. Thank you so much. And for doing thank a great you. job of breaking it all down. 888-874-4888 is the number to call, but we'll take a break now and come back to your thoughts. Remember, this is all about you and what you're thinking. Right after this. Listening to Lead Stories on PRN.FM. I'm Utrice Lead. It is Free Your Mind Friday. And it is what we do on Fridays. We open the entire program to opinions. And it's part of the training that we are uh, kind of visiting, revisiting how we express ourselves so that. There is clarity. We say exactly what we mean. We mean exactly what we say. And we have the attention of people who would like to share what it is we're thinking. Uh, Mohammed from New York, you're on the air. Thank you. You know something? Uh, are you speaking directly into your phone? I am now. Uh, uh, it sounds very. It sounds very murky. So speak as uh, if you can directly into your phone. I'm speaking directly the across the. Okay, well, that's safe. Okay, I can hear you, but it's still muffled a bit. But let's go. Let's let's give it a shot and see how uh, you you cope with it. Okay, first I want to uh, compliment Patricia and Ed and uh, Marcus on their ability to speak up because most people are afraid to speak up. I just want to say this. I had another subject, but since they brought that up, I want to say something about those folks who call themselves Jews. First of all, Judah is one of the 12 tribes of what they call the Israelites, and the people from that, that, that particular tribe was Judah, they didn't spell it J-E-W-S. Those people who call themselves Jews today, they are Khazars, and they are from the Central European countries, 
they did they were warlike people. They did a lot of coughing back in the seventh and eighth century. Genghis Khan defeated them. They broke up and split up in their king named Bulan. He told them, he said, look, we're living very immoral lives, and it's going to bring us down. So we have to choose a religion. We can either choose Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. So they, choose, they chose uh, they chose to be Jews, they went to Judaism. Okay, after King, after... Uh, uh, but you're giving us, uh, you're giving us a, a kind of condensed history. Where are you going with this? Okay, I just want to say that those people today who call themselves Jews, they are Jews by religion, but not genetically or biologically. The real Jews are those people from the tribe of Judah. These people. Well, there is an argument. There are arguments about this that have been going on for years. Who is the genuine this, or who is the genuine that? Who is a genuine Muslim? Who is a genuine Catholic? Uh, and it is the kind of argument that is hard to resolve. We don't have paperwork. We don't have paperwork to say yes. This person came from this person, and his father was this, and his mother was that. Uh, we 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 have to avoid these things until we arrive at a point, definitive point, where we can pinpoint and prove what we're saying. There's a lot of. Uh, I'm sorry. I came because I've done my homework on the Jews and those people who refer to themselves as Jews, J-E-W. Those are the Khazars. They split up. They went into Europe. They went all those countries. The countries but you're giving us a history of a people, and we don't know enough to know whether the history you're giving us is itself accurate. So okay, I'll I would say, I would just I'll just put an umbrella on it saying that it always pays when you hear something that you don't know anything about, like in this situation for me, I would certainly do some more research. Um there's a lot going on. I know many Jamaicans in fact a very good friend of mine, uh, who went to research for herself and her family and so forth. And she also went to Israel and lived there for quite some time. So there is, there, we don't want to uh, basically start painting with a broad brush if we don't know comprehensively the story. Okay, I'll say this. I do know comprehensively. So I did my research, I did it for a whole semester, that place they call Israel, that is occupied Palestine. And let me, I'll okay. go back to my... Well, you know, but again, you are, you, I, I was hoping you understood my point, and the point was to say that in any situation, any forum or anything like that, where you have a clear a cleavage, between what a speaker is saying and what the crowd is hearing and understanding, it, it means that perhaps this, the discussion at that level is a bit premature. People have to do some more reading and studying. And this is a particularly complex situation. 
and it has not been resolved in all these centuries. It hasn't. So we've gotten lots of scholars uh, who have written copious amounts of work on the, the question. But it, how among us really has gone to the trouble of reading what they have produced? And is what they have produced part of the, the, the lexicon of the discussion? It doesn't appear to be the case. Yeah, we didn't have the time to really get into it. Have, uh, I, I would, I would, how would you say it? I would suggest that most people read about the Balfour Declaration and you know, get a basic, a good, pretty much understanding, but it's much deeper. But I'll get on to my. Yeah, but, but the Balfour, the Balfour Declaration. Historically speaking, is fairly recent. You see, this is the the issue that we have. There were things that came before the Balfour Declaration, and if if a person wants to study it, this particular discussion, we have a lot of reading to do. That's true. You can't start. You can't start from the last. Can, can I, I can explain that in a very short period of time? If, I, if you, if you, if you, if you, uh, you know what? Uh, uh, you really will have to change your phone. It's 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 really giving us a hard time trying to hear you and to understand you clearly. There's okay, a lot of interference on it. So, is this is this something you could work on? Uh, we have a chance. Listen to the program. And listen to your sound. It is not good. So okay. it it actually detracts from the seriousness of what it is you're saying because we you're not hearing clearly. Okay, I'll say this and I'll close because uh, I'm just getting away. Uh, the NSA is sabotaging my phone because they know what I'm talking about and they listen to me. Okay, thank you. I'll let someone else talk and I'll listen. All right, thank you for calling in. But we said thank you for calling. Uh, we got sabotaged by the, 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 the connection. Okay, so then we have Daniel from New Jersey. You're on the air. Welcome. Hello, you treat. How are you, you treat? Hello. I'm hanging in. <laughs> Good. You treat, I, I was compelled to call um, in response to uh, Patricia and Ed in this sense. First of all, uh, I am a Jew. Second of all, I, I look upon myself as not being over-identified with being Jewish. What I mean by that is I like the fact that there's many things I disagree with in the so-called Jewish community and certainly the state of Israel. And then when we get down to specifically Kyrie Irving, which I, as I understand, um, you may have not been familiar with, but it's a very hot-button issue right now. Yes, I've been following it. What's that? There are times when I have to admit he presses my buttons, but I say to myself, wait a second, I don't know Kyrie. I haven't met him. I haven't had a one-on-one with him. 
in many ways, I have a I have a, an abiding respect for him. And I'm also wary of the media, meaning that when the media and there's no question in the New York area anyway, when you look at the various when you look at the various media sources, they've pretty much come out very, very hard against Kyrie. I'm a little suspicious of that because I think sometimes the media can color things, not really say what what may be more accurate. So my bottom line is, I guess it comes down to sensitivity. What I mean by that is whether one is, is, is black or Jewish or any other background, we're all sensitive. I take great pride. I, I watch every Saturday. I watch uh, from the National Action Network, Al Sharpton. I find it to be very invigorating. I learn a lot, etc. And one of the things that I hear that always touches me is what blacks have gone through and how understandably sensitive they are about it. And all I would simply say is that within the Jewish community, there are many, many different points of view. And the Jews that may have come out against Kyrie. Uh, and anti-Semitism, they may be the, the, the types of Jews that I wouldn't necessarily like to hang around with or necessarily uh, agree with. But I will say this, as I heard a woman call a radio station last night uh, from Williamsburg, an Orthodox Jew, who talked about the Holocaust, which I know comes up very often, I think that's an example of sensitivity, meaning that blacks, Jews, everybody, we all have these sensitivities and buttons get pressed. And I think that's the way I would like to look at this. There's no right. There's no wrong. Hopefully we can learn from these things. I think what's so fascinating is that if we look back on all these types of issues, uh, I was listening to a radio program from 1988 the other day where the moderator, a conservative right-wing moderator, said, you know something, I'm really concerned that the U.S. government is being taken over by socialists and Marxists. Well, what else is new? That was said in 1988, and it's still said now. And I think with a lot of these things, we repeat, like, like machines, we repeat these things over and over again. So I just hope we can all learn from these things. And one final thing, if I just might say, Yatrice, is sure you know i i mean you know it, it, it's ironic because jews and blacks historically unbelievable close relationships of supporting and helping each other unfortunately i do think that is one thing that is not doesn't seem to be the same nowadays and i think it's unfortunate and as always i i wish you the best unless you have any comments you'd like to make to me yes i, I you see we tend to get very, how should I say, emotional. We tend to get very emotional about this particular subject. And there are reasons that have to do with how do you, as a person, you're not in the center of this issue, and I'm not in the center of this issue, but you have very strong opinions about what it means when we have a clash, and why do we have clashes? And it is 
in the end about power. Who has power? Who does not have power? Who derives power from the powerful, the group that is deemed to be powerful? And who uh, derives, uh, how should I say, you, you, you have no power. You're powerless because you are a member of the other group. Um, we cannot ignore, we cannot ignore how much energy and effort and so-called uh, uh, intellectual thought has gone into creating and maintaining that power equation. People on one side have it without question, people on the other side do not. And not only don't they have it, they're not entitled to have it. That will always be cannon fodder for any discussion about what is going to be the relationship between these two groups. And to simply say, well, black people are always complaining. And, or to have others say, well, the Jews are insisting that they must prevail, no matter what, whether they're right or wrong. It's very touchy, but this is what you get when you have had a kind of history that that region started out as being, uh, going back to pre-biblical times. And yes, there were blacks in, in the whole mix. It was part of Africa. So these things are not incidental. We are uncomfortable with the idea of, of, of being real about what the situation is, what it is, not what it ought to be or how we can fix it. Uh, what is it now? How do we interpret this so-called relationship? What, what is its nature? Who gets what? Who has what power? That's what it is. It's not, it's nothing more than that because the power equation applies whether you're discussing religion or you're discussing war or you're discussing, uh, it, no matter what you're discussing. It is the center, it is at the core of the discussion and people don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So what they would like is quick capitulation. One side must totally capitulate to the other. Surrender. And even adopt the thinking of the other side. And then everything would be considered, well, it's improved. But that is not how the world works. That's not how people work. It's a very difficult situation because it isn't just about one's religious you know, preferences. It's about a lot. It's about who stole whose land. It's about mm. who has the power and authority. Who lost 
who lost uh, uh, several generations of power and authority over their own. I mean, it's, it's very, very serious. So we, the regular people, we are discussing it, to be very honest, in very simplistic terms, because that's as much as we can bring to the discussion. We are not experts. We are not history uh, experts. We are not historians by any means. So we are relating to it at a very watered-down level. And imagine if there is this much resistance, what would happen if you had a room full of people who cannot, who cannot be challenged because their credentials are impeccable, uh, they've written books, they've done lectures, they've done all the, the whole shebang. Uh, where do we go? There are some people who believe that there is a great deal of interest in maintaining this friction because it allows other things to occur. And that's, that also has to be considered. There are people who for generations, for centuries, have been disempowered, have been chased off their historic lands. And the culture bastardized and, or made to disappear altogether. These are very serious. My friend, who lived in Israel for a long time, Jamaican, by the way, um, it is an amazing thing to listen to her intellectual analysis of this question. She had to live in Israel. Her husband is Jewish. She is a Jew, but nobody accepts them as equals <laughs> to each other. Nobody does. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting what, what's going on in, in, in Israel right now. I don't know if you read the latest, Yatrice, but uh, ever since Netanyahu, the former leader, uh, yeah. was out of power, and he's also up on charges of bribery and so on. Uh, and these coalition governments came into play, and they've all, unfortunately, they haven't worked out. And apparently he's going to be back in charge again, and uh, the government is going to be very much to the right again. Uh, you know, sure. Probably. He's already indicated that. Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of people who say it's about time. Welcome back. We needed you. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel, for calling and contributing today. I really appreciate your call. My pleasure. I always learn from you. Thank you. Me too. I always learn from people calling in, like you calling in and, and raising questions and Marcus and uh, now we have positive from New York. You're on the air. How are you doing, Eutrice and the family? Oh. I know okay. a uh, short time. I'm not, I'm not going to elaborate on things too much. I could go for a while. I'm dealing with both of you. Uh, uh, 
pre-first uh, mentioned the topics that we just mentioned. It's now a discussion we just mentioned. Okay, we have a problem. I just need to let you know. It's the same problem we have with Muhammad. Your phone, the the the, How about the now? sound is not is better. Now? Yes, yes. It's better. Okay. Much what better. I was saying, I said I'm not going to go long, and and that I would. Uh, I basically would like to, uh, before I say anything, put a little comment into uh, add on to something that was discussed yesterday. Uh, and that was about democracy and government, but and is that in these days and times, I you know I myself uh, used to be a legislative aide back in the early '80s under Senator Senator Joe Gallup out of the Bronx. Uh, when I came out of uh, school uh, with a polysec major, at any rate, um, uh, elaborating on dem- democracy itself and and as it stands here in America, even parts abroad. Um, I agree to what uh, Big Brother David said, and that is that um, we really never had a really democracy. In a- the word democracy came initially, uh, the root word, one of the root words in it is demos, which means people. Kratos or Kratos means, means power. It was supposed to be a government with power coming from the people. In other words, it was an illusion of of inclusion. It was that from the onstart, onstart rather, of America. It never really was controlled by the people. It was to make the people believe they had power. So it is when a person votes in this democracy is to make you think you're voting for someone when really that person is being selected. That's why those who are elected or selected always fall under the same criteria uh, financially and even mindset for the most part. I don't care which party they come from. Well, then you have to go back to your statement and let's see if we could correct it. When we said the people, you're intimating that it was Involving everybody. Wrong. I, what, I, what I said that in its own, in other words, the word, the word democracy means power yes. by the people. And I'm saying to you and to all who understand that it was an illusion of conclusion. In other words, it was to make the people believe that the system itself was developed to make people believe that they had a say-so in the power that was governing them, as opposed to the the uh, old America, because this is, I mean, old England, because this is none but New England. After we say the old York, this is New York. And that's why the streets and a lot of the customs are all the same as it was back then. I mean, uh, some of the... Like I heard a historian say the other day on some podcast, he said, one of the most violent countries in the 19th century was Britain. And one of the most violent, this is when he was cut off by one of the time, uh, people from, someone from the, uh, I think it was, what is this big newspaper here? I can't think of the name of it offhand. The major news company here. The major editor cut him off. He said, 
and one of the most violent countries of this era is America. And when he said that, he cut him off right. He cut him off right. He didn't let a lot of guys. His last name was Saxton, I think his name is. I think it's John Saxton, the one who spoke. I can't think of the uh, the uh, guy from the uh, this news station here, news company, newspaper company. Yeah, I can't think of the editor's name, but he cut him off. But my point is, like I was saying to you, that it never was an actual democracy. It was only to make the people believe that what they were going through in England is not gonna is not gonna happen. What British, what the British was putting them under that same type of rulership, a monarchy was not gonna happen here. Here you're gonna have a say so in this. So it gave you a gave them a word. No, 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 no. I have to to kind of arrest you here. It was never thought that people of color, Native Americans in particular too, uh, would be part of this demos, the people. Never. Right. I agree with you 100% of that. But people, Native Americans and people of color at that time were not the people or the citizens that that system was geared to in the front, was given to in the first place. They wasn't, when I said in illusion of conclusion, I mean, uh, uh, illusion of, of conclusion, of inclusion, rather, I'm going to say, they weren't the ones I was speaking about. I wasn't speaking about them because, first of all, they weren't considered people in the first place. At least not equal. But you're something that I would dare say is widely accepted as true. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is your argument, what is your central argument. You treat some not presenting the argument. This is in facts on what in, on what democracy means, and facts on on the practice of democracy. That's what I'm saying to you. And you can't. We gotta go. Um, thank you so much for participating today, all of you who have called in. Uh, have yourselves a good and restful weekend. Connect with your family and friends. And let's talk again on Monday. Bye-bye.